0: You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up everybody? Welcome back to a new season of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm so excited to dig into this. We have a lot of great episodes that are coming your way, ranging from food to fitness to pure biohacking. And as always, the goal of this podcast is to give you awesome information that you can immediately apply in your life to live a better life. On today's episode, we have PJ Nestler, who is the director of XPT Life. And XPT is a training system Uh, that focuses on breath movement and recovery and pj is the real deal this dude lives it every single day and he's doing certifications for people to improve their life through those three uh, those three categories Um, he works with laird hamilton and gabby reese to help people live their best life Uh, we cover breath work how people are breathing in correctly we, we talk a lot about uh, the use of the sauna and how that can be an excellent tool for raising your level of performance. And it's a really fascinating, wide-ranging conversation with someone who really, really knows their stuff. He is a world-class expert in this arena, and we have a really cool conversation. As always, please, we'd love to hear your feedback. Send me an email, sean at naturalstacks.com. Like this, share this, listen to it, enjoy wherever you are in the world listening to this podcast, and I am so stoked to be releasing a new season of the Optimal Performance Podcast, and we have so many great episodes coming your way. So look forward to these every Tuesday, and without further ado, I introduce Coach PJ Nessler. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick, It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And We're joined on today's episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast by Coach PJ Nessler, who is the Director of Performance for XPT Life, which I'll let him explain in a little bit. Uh, Also 11 plus years of coaching athletes with a specialty in combat sports training. PJ, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So I start the same, the same way with, with every guest, and that is to ask our guest what is in their body, whether you're an intermittent faster or whatever. If you eat breakfast or don't, do you take supplements or don't? It's 12.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, what have you put into your body today?
1: Uh, I, I mess around with all of it. Uh, today, I've actually only had coffee. Um, I, I use our... I use the Laird Superfuel Fuel coffee, uh, so I, I have the instant one, and um, yeah, that's all I've but I don't. Today's an off day for me. I don't work out today, so I just woke up. I had a coffee with a little bit of uh, fats in it, and that's all I've had so far. And I'll probably grab lunch afterwards. Nice. Uh, normally, I would have taken some supplements too, but I actually didn't do that this morning. Okay. I forgot. Did you say you just woke up? No, I, that's what I. That's what I had. I said I woke up and I drank oh. that coffee. That's all I've had so far. Gotcha. I, just,
0: I thought you were I thought you were telling me that you like slept till eleven thirty today.
1: <laughs> no. No, <laughs> it's not usually that's not usually me on a weekday.
0: Yeah, right. So we can take this uh I'm really excited to talk to you and I've been, you know, I've been following your work and your your YouTube channel and the work that you do with XPT life. Um, can you just give us sort of an overview of the sorts of things that you're most interested in, from breath work to performance and uh, deep water work? And, and tell us also a little bit about uh, XPT life.
1: Sure. XPT is, is basically, we describe it as a performance lifestyle. Um, and, you know, XPT stands for extreme performance training. And really, we define that as uh, helping people to achieve the ultimate performance in whatever performance is for them. So people get kind of turned off by the extreme and performance. I think performance means I have to be an elite athlete extreme means I've got to be like Laird Hamilton and surf 50 foot waves, or this isn't relevant for me. And really for us, you know, extreme performance is just performing at the absolute highest level in whatever task that is. It can be daily things like playing with your kids. It can be, uh, Performing at your job, it can be performing in the bedroom. It, it can be performing in recreational sports, whatever that that means to people. Um, and, and our kind of underlying mission is to help people be the most uh, versatile and resilient human beings possible. Uh, so that's kind of the the short version of what XVT is all about. But then you mentioned some of the stuff that we dive a little deeper into. We have a, a unique underwater training system that was created by Laird Hamilton, and and that was founded upon his you know, kind of desire to improve his capabilities for big wave surfing and to train in the off season and and improve his breath hold capabilities and then evolve from there into a pretty unique movement system. And then uh, breath work is something that our pillars are breathe, move, recover. So the water training kind of falls into the movement category, but so does all other types of training. Um, We really just believe in, in restoring foundational human abilities. Uh, whether you know, things that have been lost on us from our sedentary lifestyles and sitting at a desk and a car and all our, our whole life. Uh, and we've lost the ability to, to breathe properly, to stress ourselves with, with environmental stressors like heat and cold uh, because our technology and convenience, we've convenienced ourselves out of those things. Um, <clears throat> or to move properly, to run and jump and skip and, and shuffle and move our body the way it's supposed to move. Um, And a lot of us have lost those abilities. So that's kind of what, you know, I mentioned our goal is to help people be the most versatile and resilient human beings possible. And and the way we do that is by restoring all of these different foundational human abilities and, and understanding that there is kind of a wide spectrum of them. And if you, if you skip them and you spend 20 years focusing on one area and neglecting the others, Um, you're going to become a liability in those areas and you're no longer going to be versatile. Um, So that's kind of the overview of XPT and and what we do. And then uh, your second question was the areas I'm most interested in. And I'd say my job is to be interested in all those areas. But I think for me, I mean, I read a lot of the research on, on cold baths, uh, ice baths and saunas, mostly because that's my job uh, and I, The research is so new on that that I have to stay up with it, but I think the breathing is something I'm the most interested in uh, because I think it has the most benefit to the most people. It's super, super impactful for people's health performance, longevity. Um, It it can apply to every single human being. So I think that's one of the things that it's so easy. It's a a low hanging fruit because you can literally do it with zero equipment uh, you don't have to be in a gym. You don't have to be, you know, you can do it anywhere, any piece of equipment uh, or without any equipment. And it's it's impactful for children, doctors, physical therapists, elite athletes, elite military units, elderly populations, general fitness. It, you know, it, it applies to, across such a broad spectrum that I, um, that's why I think it's so powerful. Uh, and that's, that's probably my favorite thing right now to, to research, to learn about and to teach and I, that's uh, what I do a lot of.
0: Yeah. I I would agree with that. I think, I think, uh, most people are probably, is it safe to say that most people are breathing incorrectly?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say probably more than half the population is breathing with some sort of dysfunction. Um, and you know, that's a question I get all the time. People say, well, do you really need to teach people how to breathe? Like, don't we know how to do that? I mean, I do it every single day. And, um, the answer to that is we certainly do because you, you definitely know how to breathe from the time you're a child, but then you screwed it up. You started eating poor diets or sitting in poor postures or not knowing how to mitigate and control your stressful responses to certain situations. And those triggered uh, dysfunctional patterns. And then you just spent you know, the past 25 years feeding that dysfunction. So we need to restore that just like we need to restore people's postures and and, uh, you know, movement capabilities and and mobility and flexibility and strength and all that kind of stuff. Um, because a lot of us has just screwed it up.
0: Yeah. And when you, when you think about the, um, you know, it's in, in, in one of your videos, you talk about sort of, um, health priorities, breathing, eating, moving, and sleeping is sort of the four buckets of things that people should consider. And again, whether you are a, Uh, NFL athlete or, uh, an accountant, you can, you can still live a happier, uh, higher performing life. Um, but yeah, starting with the breathing, because you don't, you don't need any, you don't need any equipment. You don't need any tricks. Um, what do, do you think that most people, uh, and we'll just stick with the broad generalities, but do you think that most people are over breathing or under breathing or, or is it situational? So, a
1: lot of people o- overbreathing is one of the most common kind of breathing dysfunctions. Uh, that's one of the, the things that uh, we work on. Uh, overbreathing is breathing in and out too much air uh, or more than is necessary based on the current state of metabolic demands. Uh, and the reason most people overbreathe is because a lot of us mouth breathe. And even if we don't, or, or we mouth breathe at rest, or we switch to mouth breathing really quickly during exercise, and in reality, we should be breathing through our nose pretty much at all times. Uh, that's the nose is designed for. And one of the main things it does when it comes to over-breathing is it helps regulate how much air goes in and out. Uh, So there's a whole bunch of negative health effects from um, over-breathing or hyperventilating. And and people think hyperventilating means breathing really fast, but in actuality, it just means breathing in excess of metabolic demand. So if I'm sitting here right now, I'm actually over-breathing because I'm talking. And when I talk, it's really hard to regulate how much air is going in and out. What I end up doing is Ex, uh, exhaling more co2 than is necessary and when i get rid of the co2 in my body it can create a. it co2 is a, is a necessary thing it's it's a waste product and we need to get rid of the excess but we want to maintain the right levels of it because it's necessary for me to utilize oxygen appropriately uh, to balance out my blood ph so when when people over they lower the co2 level and it leads to this cascade of negative effects that can can lead to this habitual overbreathing cycle. Can lead to decreased um, sports performance. Can lead to a whole bunch of health issues. Um, it's associated with uh, a ton of different d- diseases and illnesses. Um, so there's a whole bunch of negative health uh, effects that happen from overbreathing. So that's one of the first things we look for with people, uh, and we try to correct from a from a biomechanical standpoint and from also a biochemical standpoint, looking at like the actual respiratory gas exchange and how we can, we can optimize that.
0: What, what are one or two tips that people can immediately put to use that are sort of common mistakes that people make that they can uh, correct right away? While they're listening to this, what's one thing besides breathing through their nose that they can do. <laughs> uh, that that, we'll, that, we'll, that going to be my answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wh- what about um, what about in any sort of rhythm or cadence? Like if you're breathing through your nose and you're just relaxed, whether you're you know, people listen to this in the car, at the gym, you know, traveling, all sorts of different places. What in addition to breathing through the nose, what's another thing that they can do to optimize their breath? Uh,
1: the simplest thing is just slow down. Um, and, and I don't tell people we we have tons of cadences you can follow that are designed to create certain responses in the body. But for for most people, when you're just breathing at rest, it it should be a, a nice quiet inhale through the nose, exhale through the nose. It should be basically like a one to one ratio of inhale to exhale. Um, that that's normal restful breathing. Uh, but most of us just we breathe way too much. And you should you should be taking no more than like six breaths a minute. When you're at rest. So that'd be five seconds in, five seconds out, uh, <clears throat> kind of averaging. Most of us breathe a lot faster than that, a lot more than that. So uh, a normal person takes like 14,000 to 20,000 breaths a day, or I should say, a normal person. That's like what would be normal. Whereas a lot of us take uh, 30 000 to 40,000 breaths a day because we over breathe, we breathe too fast, too much. So that'd be my biggest, my, my biggest two points on just all the time is shut your mouth and <sighs> breathe, breathe slower. If, <laughs> if you can be conscious of breathing slower and then you can get into all kinds of different patterns and tempos and cadences. Um, you know, if you want to go that route and say a, a simple, simple protocol to follow, if someone just wants to practice breathing in general, um, the kind of one, of one of the best baseline ones I give people is called box breathing. Uh, it's it's really popular because it's a lot of psychologists and military units and a lot of people use it. It's kind of the only breathing, pro- breathing protocol a lot of them use because it is just so simple and it's a great introduction to kind of the four corners of the breath, which is the inhale, the hold at the top, the exhale, the hold at the bottom. And basically in a box breathing cadence, you're just uh, keeping all four sides of that square equal. So, uh, a sip. The, the one I start people off with is usually a three, 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 three box. So that would mean a, a three second inhale, a three second hold, a three second exhale, and a three second hold. And they would just repeat that cycle. And what I tell people is if you can maintain that for, for two to three minutes, then you could bump it up. So if I do that for three minutes, and that was easy, try a 444 box and 555 box start to improve that if you, if you can't maintain it for two full minutes then you haven't mastered that cadence uh, so then I just tell people like that's something you can work on and that can create a lot of changes it can help people with mental focus and relaxation it can help you to to down it can help you to shift out of kind of negative emotional responses and it can create a whole bunch of physiological changes too so that's a simple one and very easy to scale because all you do is bump the cadence up or down based on how challenging the the protocol was for you.
0: That is excellent. That's golden advice. So for anybody that's listening, if you're faced with a moment of um, a heightened state, if you're stressed out or you got a nasty email or um, one of your coworkers is bugging you or whatever, you can go to start with that, three second box breath and it will noticeably uh, help you relax and be more in control of your emotional state. I think that's that's excellent.
1: Yeah, absolutely and the, and the next P, the next tip I would give on that is if you're gonna do it and you're gonna sit there for three minutes and focus on your breathing, focus on breathing into your belly. So think you know you can put your hand on your belly and I just tell people and this is again one of the baseline cues there's a lot more steps to this. But first step is getting people out of breathing into their chest. And one of the challenges a lot of people have when they do a box breath is they say they can't – they try to do a six 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 box, but they couldn't inhale for more than three seconds. Uh, that was a big challenge I had early on because when we do an inhale, we pull the air in through our nose, and we think about pulling with the nose, and then it fills up my upper chest, and I can't get any more air in. And what I need to do, the, the cue I get that worked for me was – understanding that the nose is the vessel, not the motor. So I'm not pulling the air with my nose. I'm pulling it in with my belly and I'm just, it's traveling through the nose and that helps you to kind of slow it down. And then, um, I mean, those are the, the two biggest takeaways when it comes to breath work. When I tell people they say, what can I do to optimize my breathing? I say, shut your mouth and breathe through your nose all the time and breathe deep down into your belly and feel, the, feel your belly expand when you inhale and fall when you exhale. If you can fix those two things, you're light years ahead of, of 70% of the population.
0: How much joy do you get from telling people to shut their mouth? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I like it a lot. It's just, <laughs> it's definitely, I, I put it, you know, it's something that catches people's eye onto my Instagram or uh, when I write a, an article on nose breathing, you know, I like to use that title. Or when I did a, a post about mouth taping, I think I said, I think the post was titled like, shut your damn mouth. Yeah. Like that. Uh, it catches people's attention for sure.
0: That's excellent. That would never get old for me if I'm coaching people <laughs> whether it's in a pool or, or, you know, laying on their back in shavasana to shut your damn, <laughs> shut your damn mouth, slow yeah. down. I love that. And it, it's
1: also great. I mean, if you, if you're working with kids or I wouldn't tell kids to shut their damn mouth, but <laughs> if you're working with kids or even athletes that get lost and they start ch- talking and they you just get lost in certain things. When you get them focused on their breathing and their breathing through their nose, they can't be doing any of that stuff. So it creates this very unique opportunity for you to, to coach them, to communicate with them, to, for them to just be aware and checked in on them. Uh, you know That's why I say do that when you're, when you're angry or you're about to have an emotional response. Take a few of those focused breaths because, uh, I mean, let's say you did three of those box breaths. That's, that's almost a minute. That's, you know, four to 45 seconds that you just spent focused breathing. Well, 45 seconds of time in mental clarity, in order to to decide how you're going to create this, like this response to whatever that negative situation was, uh, I guarantee you that'll change what your response is most of the time, it'll be a lot more thought out than whatever emotion was just triggered to kind of lead you to that response.
0: Right. Yeah. Buying yourself a little bit of time to lower your state and to relax a little bit, to be able to respond instead of react is that's gold and that can be applied. And I mean, that's, that's many, many moments throughout any person's day is, uh, is, is handling like a little freak out moment with a, uh, with a, with a balanced breath for, you know, 45 seconds. That's a game changer. That's like a superpower.
1: Yeah. It'll, it allows you to kind of take that opportunity to shift from, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book Thinking Fast and Slow. They talk about the brain in two systems: and yeah. system being kind of our, our our reactive emotional brain, and system two being our our rational, logical thought processing brain. Um, but it, it allows you to kind of tap into that system two and and use your logic and reason versus just allowing the emotional reactive response to happen, uh, which is naturally you know, where we, where we would go with that.
0: Yeah. It's the, it's the most, uh, it's the, it's the most applicable biohack there is to be able to, to be able to, to be in control of your breath. Uh, so one thing, um, and just because I am fascinated by it and I've made it a, a, a practice, um, is the, um, sauna and cold exposure, And our listeners are going to be up to date on this stuff, you know, um, thank goodness for the work that Wim Hof does, uh, and, and, uh, expanding people's perception of the power of, of that, that practice. It's hard to not take a big (gasps) inhale chest breath when you're either in an ice bath or in a cold shower. Uh, and again, this is something that I've just been really passionate about for, since I bought my infrared sauna a couple of months ago. Um, and my protocol is to do it typically at night, sort of as the last thing that I do before I go to sleep. And I'll sit in the infrared sauna for 25 minutes or so. And then I'll go up, uh, I'll go up stairs and take a cold shower. And I think everybody's reaction to cold water is to go (gasps) and, that's not the right way to do it, is it, PJ? Uh, no, absolutely not. But it,
1: I wouldn't say it's not the right way because it's definitely the response. Um, I think what we try to teach people is how to mitigate that response. You know, that that's it, evolution. that's telling you, like, get the hell out of that cold water. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not that that's wrong, but it's can we overcome that? And that's what, what we usually teach people. It's one of the main reasons we do the ice baths during our experiences, it, of course, there's a host of physiological benefits, psychological benefits that people can take from them, and we, we teach those. But step one is we just spent an hour teaching them breath work and talking about breathing being the remote control to the brain and being able to uh, regulate their emotional states, their nervous system. And now we're going to put it to practice. We're going to put you in a situation where you're literally going to panic. You're going to your physical responses are going to be fear, stress, anxiety, your emotional and psychological response is going to be the same thing, pain, fear. You're going to feel all those sensations in this very safe place. You're not in any real danger, um, but your body is going to respond like you are. And do you, can you exercise those tools that we just gave you and put them to play to kind of overcome and mitigate that response? And the more you practice that and get better at it, I think that's one of the main things that will transcend into your daily life. I know it has been for me and for my athletes and for the thousands of people we've worked with, uh, anecdotally. Um, but that's one of the things that I think is the most powerful that's really hard to quantify.
0: Yeah. Let's dig into the science and, and, and you, you made the point early on that the, that the, the research is, is still pretty new around, uh, heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins and what they do and how they work. But, uh, for, for those of us who know a little bit, or for those of us that don't know anything at all, can you give us sort of an overview of of what you've learned um, and uh, about about the benefits of and, and what do you call it hot cold therapy? Hydro, how do you how do you characterize that that practice?
1: Uh, yeah, we call it hot and cold exposures, or just exposure in general. Um, thermoregulation. We call it a lot of different stuff, but I just usually refer to it as hot and cold exposures.
0: Yeah. And can you, can you give us sort of a, a, overview of the, the science that you've learned about why this, why this is good? Why, why, why should people be interested in, in hot and cold exposure?
1: Yeah, I think the, the super simple answer is thinking about these things as stress what, when we stress our body in a certain way, it's forced to respond and, and become more resilient to that stress and get better. That's what exercise is. That's what intermittent fasting is. That's what, um, hypoxic breath work training is. All of those things are stress to the system and your body, is your biology is designed to help keep you alive. So when you start pushing it outside of its homeostasis, it's therefore going to have to respond. Uh, and you can, t- Taken, you know, the, the process. Um, the term for this is, is hormesis, that was kind of kind of made pretty popular. If you follow, which a lot, of, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, follow Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Ben Greenfield and uh, people who talk about saunas and cold baths and uh, intermittent fasting. And hormesis is basically a term for uh, an exposure to something at a lower dose can be beneficial, whereas at a high dose it would be deadly. And the example I always give is, you know, any, any medicine is poison at a certain dose. Um, so that's kind of the overlying thing But to get deeper into the science, which I think is really cool, but it is still new and emerging. Um, and I think there, there is certainly some misconceptions out there on the science and, and I don't, I'm not trying to bring them to light too much because ultimately it's, it's still doing more good than it is bad because it's getting people to, to jump into saunas and ice baths. So I'm, I really don't want to poke a lot of holes in it, but the stance that we take at XVT is a little different than what you might read from some of those other people. Um, because if you do read the research, it is a little conflicting right now, or a lot of the studies are on animals, which can be very, you know, can have a good correlation to humans, but can also have the complete opposite effect in humans. Um, so we, there's a lot of stuff we just don't know yet. And, it's really hard for people to jump into something when you say, well, we think it's good, but we don't know. Um, but the reason we don't know is nobody is studying these specific protocols. The people who are studying the research on saunas and ice baths is all over the place. It's like, oh, we found a benefit to this, but we studied untrained people and we did 20 minutes in this type of sauna. And it's like, okay, well, does that apply to these other people? Well, and then the next study where they studied a similar thing, They studied trained athletes and they did a different type of heat exposure. They were in hot tubs and they did it for an hour. So it's like it's the protocols are so all over the place. It's really hard to make like a minimum effective dose. But it's looking on saunas every time a new study comes out. It's looking super beneficial for disease populations, especially um, in terms of helping people mitigate the risk of strokes and heart attacks and and a whole uh, potentially like Alzheimer's and dementia, but that stuff, those studies were done on worms and flies. So like, that's, that's pretty far from, you know, it's a pretty bold claim to say it's going to help somebody with that. Uh, but it is promising. Like it, it needs us to, to do more, want to do more research, but it's pretty far from, um, you know, I wouldn't need, I would never make that claim at this point. Uh, but there is a lot of correlation, a lot of cor- uh, correlation research coming out on, on uh, the, the correlation between frequency and sauna bathings and lower risks of strokes and heart attacks and, and all cause mortality. Um, now again, it could be that, you know, when you look at a correlation study, it, it could be that the people who frequently sauna more often also worked out more often and took more, you know, were more health conscious and slept better and and ate better. So it's, it's hard to control a lot of those variables. Um, but it's certainly a lot of positive stuff. Um, there's studies that are, talking about uh saunas being a a potential protocol to help with uh lowering blood pressure improving um, blood glucose control in diabetics um, improving uh obesity controlling obesity so a whole bunch of of really cool stuff and the, the the thing that i always tell people kind of the asterisk on that is you also see all of these benefits from exercise exercise is heat stress so the saunas are awesome. They're an extra benefit, but think about it like an extra part of the workout. So what I tell people is if you're only going to train three hours a week, don't skip your workout to go sit in the sauna, go work out. You're going to get way more benefit from the exercise. But if you maybe can't get a workout in, but you can get a sauna, well, you you can still get a whole bunch of benefits or maybe you're, you're suffering from an injury. Uh, or you're, um, you're doing on recovery day. Maybe you drain you four days a week, but you want to go to the gym on the fifth day. You can't beat your body up. Well, I mean, go sit in the sauna for a half hour, and you could still take advantage of a whole bunch of benefits without putting extra mileage on your joints and your muscles. Um, so you can use it in that way. Or maybe elderly populations who can't get as much physical exercise. Well, they can use the sauna to stimulate some of those responses. Um, and then the, the extra caveat to that is in athletes, Um, They're seeing some benefits to performance specifically in runners, uh, but those people were using it at the end of their workout. So again, maybe I work out really intense for an hour, and then I go sit in a 20-minute sauna. Well, the reason that I'm able to, the reason those runners were able to improve their running to exhaustion time was they spent, they did 30 minutes actually, but they spent an extra 30 minutes exposing themselves to heat stress. So it's basically an extra 30 minutes they were exercising. So they were able to tolerate um, a lot more exercise in their, kind of back, their follow-up trials because they, they had 30 more minutes of, of stress on their system, uh, but not stress on the joints and on the muscles. So it can be used like that uh, in a lot of really beneficial ways. So I think it's super powerful. I think it's something that more people should be doing. Uh, but I certainly don't want people to think that because of their seeing these health benefits that they should just start using saunas only or skipping workouts to use the sauna because the workout is still needs to be the priority. Uh, and then you can add the sauna on, on those other times, or if you can't get the workout in for whatever reason.
0: I'm definitely guilty of that. I'll come clean. I definitely, at least once a week say, nah, instead of working out, I'm just going to sit in the sauna because it's good for me. So <laughs> I felt, I feel like I needed to cop to that.
1: <laughs> I have me too. I mean, when I first started doing it, I was like, I got to start doing sauna more often. I got to, I was reading the research and I was like, I got to start doing this. And then it took me a long time to really be like, okay, now I fully understand the science and I can make better practical application uh, guidelines. And and that's what I started to, to kind of figure out. And specifically I was working with my own family members, my dad, uh, who had had a heart triple bypass heart surgery last year. And we were talking about a bunch of these benefits and he was asking the question about, you know, training. You know, he doesn't have that many hours to go to the gym. He doesn't go to the gym seven days a week. So he said, should I maybe skip one of my swimming workouts to do the sauna? And I said, absolutely not. Do the swim. And then if you want to jump in the sauna afterwards, or if you do go to the gym on a Sunday, when you're taking your off day, jump in the sauna for 20 minutes and take a shower. Those are things where you can get extra benefits, but uh, definitely don't skip the workout to do it. But I'm guilty of it too. And sometimes you you wake up and you go, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to train today. just don't, I'm not feeling it, but I will go jump in the sauna. So at least I got something rather than I was just going to sit around and do nothing. Uh, at least I got some benefit. So it's yeah. definitely a, a tool for your toolbox. Yeah. But not, not the end all solution for health.
0: Yeah. Don't, don't weasel out. Don't weasel out of the, uh, the hill runs, uh, with a sauna and think that you're getting the same deal.
1: Yeah. And what I tell people too is if you're trying to if you're trying to create adaptation, it's got to be stressful. Yeah. If you go sit in the sauna for 5 10 minutes and it's nice and relaxing, that can be great if the goal was to to just relax and to kind of restore yourself and recover, but if you're using it as the exercise for the day, you got to stay in there until it starts to suck. Yeah. And you know, that and I don't recommend people trying to kill themselves in the sauna, but what I say is stay in just past the point of discomfort. When you start to feel a little claustrophobic and it starts to it starts to suck, see if you can push past that for a minute or two and get out. Uh, you start to feel lightheaded, dizzy, whatever, don't, you know, again, don't go crazy because you could die in there. Um, but that's the point where you're gonna start to see the benefits, just like exercising. I'm fit enough that I've trained four or five days a week. If I just go for a walk right now, I'm not gonna get a lot of like adaptation from that. Uh, I'm going to have to push it hard enough. So same thing goes for the sauna.
0: Yeah. How should we be breathing in the sauna? Should we just shut our damn mouths and breathe through our nose? I would love to
1: say that, but to be honest, it's so hard to breathe through your nose in the sauna because it burns your nose. Um, So depending on what sauna you're in, if you're in an infrared sauna, it's a lot easier because the the ambient air is not as bad. So yeah, if you're in an infrared sauna breathe through your nose the whole time, Uh, breathe same breathing protocol. you can do, that box breathing pattern and actually use that as an opportunity to do some focused breathing while also taking advantage of sauna benefits, then you're, then you're super biohacking. Um, but in a dry sauna, that's really hot. It can be hard to breathe through your nose. I'm actually, because it's something that frustrates me, I've been playing around with different things to try to figure out how I can, uh, mitigate that. I don't know if your nose adapts to it. because I don't personally have a sauna at my house and don't do it as often. Uh, that's something I was going to ask Laird about because I was doing, trying to do nose breathing in the sauna last weekend uh, with my dad in New York at, at the gym back there. And their sauna is like 195 or 200 degrees. And I just, I couldn't do the breaths through my nose. They're just burning my, my nasal passages. So I had to figure that out. That'd be something I'll, I'm going to solve. Maybe yeah. will invent a product, you can stuff up your nose when you're in the sauna.
0: <laughs> that sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. A cooling, a cooling filter for your nose.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, I, that, that that's what I do. So I, I I tend to meditate um in my infrared sauna um and breathe through my nose and yeah, just trying to combine combine the benefits of of being in there cuz uh a time or two I've I bring my phone in there to do like an Instagram live video and after like 6 minutes my phone overheats and I'm I'm probably like killing my phone but um, yeah
1: you're not supposed to do that
0: nope, no well uh yeah uh but yeah do um do you have an opinion uh based on what you know between the benefits of an infrared sauna versus a uh, like a for instance, a barrel sauna?
1: yeah, so what it comes down to based on my understanding is really the level of stress um I think infrared saunas are phenomenal, they don't get you as hot, so you just have to stay in there for longer to get the benefit, i think um because Less stress, less adaptation. So uh, same thing with cryo versus ice baths. Um, and I've personally done infrared saunas. I think they're great. I know people say they heat you up different because they heat you inside and out. But the reality is you don't get as hot. I can, I can sit in my one of our advisor or our, our XBT investors has an infrared sauna that he's super hijacked with eight different extra heaters and everything. And I can still sit in there for an hour and not be super uncomfortable. Whereas I go to a dry sauna, even not, not even the, the 220 degree barrel saunas that we use, even like uh, you know, your standard gym 180 degree, 175, 180 degree sauna, you get to 25, 30 minutes in there and it's, it starts to really suck. Um, so I think it's just a different level of stress. So what I tell people is if you are going to use an infrared sauna, you just probably have to stay in a little longer to get that, that kind of point of discomfort benefit. Um, but they're certainly phenomenal. They're they're a lot cheaper and easier to put in your house. Uh, the only other downside to infrared saunas and why we don't really use them, uh, because they don't get you as hot, when we do saunas a lot for XPT, we also pair it with the ice bath. Uh, and it just takes a lot longer to heat you back up in between the ice bath. Ah. So I think they're they're excellent for a heat exposure. But when you get out of a 32-degree ice bath, it takes really long to get hot again. It's not that it doesn't work. It just takes longer. Uh, Whereas when we throw people in the 220-degree sauna, they're ready to get back in the ice after about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. uh, Until they they get out, and then they don't want to get in the ice. They want to get back in the sauna. (laughs)
0: um,
1: So that's why we go so extreme with the temperature swings. But I think I tell people, hey, anyway, you're going to get hot. Same thing goes for steam rooms, uh, hot tubs, the research is a little unclear on that stuff right now, but there has been some benefit they've seen in steam rooms and hot tubs. So I just tell people, Hey, if you've got it, whatever, whatever tool you have to get hot, just stay in there until you get a little bit past point the point of discomfort. And you're probably going to get similar benefits, at least based on the current research. And, and that's kind of the the best recommendation we can make so far.
0: Yeah. That's really helpful. Cause uh, I think for the for the uh, average person, an infrared sauna is probably more accessible um, price wise and size wise for them to be able to use it. But, you know, taking into, into consideration that, yeah, if it doesn't suck, <laughs> if it doesn't totally suck or it takes a really long time to suck, then that means that you're not getting that same that same stress response that, that is really sort of the key to it. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 good advice for people. And
1: what you'll notice with that stress response, too, is it's very individual based on the day. So that's why when people ask me, what's the best type of sauna? I'm like, depends on your situation and all that. But like, okay, how long should I go in? Well, if I tell you to go in 20 minutes a day, but tomorrow your day just all shit hits the fan and you're so stressed out and anxious, you might get in there. And after eight minutes, you feel like you're going to die. Whereas the day before you did 25 and you were okay. It's so variable. So I, that's why I, I think the easiest recommendation is like, just get past the point of discomfort and whatever that means for you that day. And, and I track it, but I, it's always super interesting to me because mine, mine, I used to be able to do 30 minutes, but I would, it would really start to suck at about 22 minutes. And then 25 was like, okay, I got to stick it out, really focus my breathing to make it. Sometimes I get out at 25. Sometimes I would push past till 30, just depending on the day. Uh, and then there would be the days that I'd go there, especially after a day of working all day. Um, when I was writing our certification program, I'd kind of just spend 10 hours behind my computer just writing. And then I'd go to the sauna to just kind of unwind. And I would notice that like 16 minutes, I was just like, oh, man, I, I got to get out of here. I don't know what my deal is today. And I started to look at the kind of common denominators there. And I realized that it was all that accumulated stress from throughout the day that was affecting my ability to tolerate this, this stress later on.
0: Yeah. And that's fascinating. So how do you, how, do you, you just sort of track that with a journal? Like, Oh, today was a relaxed day and today was a stressful day. And this is how long I lasted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just writing down. I mean, for, at first I was just in my head, you know, I just would know how long I was. Cause for me, it was always a challenge. Like, okay, if I'm going to do a sauna, I know yesterday I did 26 minutes. So today I'm going to try to do 27. You know, always trying to get better. And then you, you go in for 22 and you, you're like, man, I suck. Why am I such a wuss today? And then you start to do that a few times. You're like, okay, there starts to be a pattern here. It's not just like I'm mentally weak on certain days of the week. It's like, oh, the days I came in at night were the days I really sucked. So maybe it's the nighttime and I'm better in the morning from a physiology standpoint. Or maybe it was the, the reason I came at night was because I those were the days I was stuck doing a lot of work. So I think that that was the, the thing. And I noticed the same thing with the ice bath. When the times that I have the most trouble in the ice bath is we we, use the, we do the ice bath on day two of our certification program. And at the end, we do at the end of day two. And then I usually, once all the participants leave, me and my assistant coach will we'll do our own kind of sauna and ice bath to kind of um, end off the day because we're obviously going to take advantage of having an ice bath already there. Yeah, And what I noticed is, after two full days of being on my feet, teaching, presenting, those are the worst ice baths ever for me. Like my feet are in sharp, sharp physical pain where sometimes I have to actually take my toes out. Um, in a you know, sometimes I shiver a lot, all of these kind of physical responses that never happen to me. I mean, I sit in my freezer in my garage for five minutes and I'm fine, I meditate in there and I'm okay. Meanwhile, I jump in this ice bath, it's the same temperature and I had to take my toes out after a minute and I have to get out at two minutes cause I'm shivering uncontrollably. Uh, so that I, I noticed that that the stress plays a big role in that.
0: Tell us about your freezer at home. How do you have it set up?
1: So I bought a, uh, I bought a chest freezer. One of those like coffin freezer things from the commercial ones from, uh, from Sears actually, I got it super cheap. And all I did was, um, we, we sealed it. We put some. I'm actually going to come out with a video on XPT pretty soon about exactly how we set it up. Nice, because um, a lot of people ask that question. It's a it's a decent home setup for people. Um, not great if you're leading a bunch of people through it because you got to keep it clean. So if you do it with 20 people all the time, you know, at your gym or something, it's probably not the best setup. Uh, but it certainly saves you a lot of money on ice because you spend a hundred dollars each time you buy the amount of ice that we use in an ice bath and for me to do them regularly i've already used my freezer i've had it for like a month i've probably used it 20 times so i've already paid myself back in tenfold um but yeah it's basically a chest freezer it's 14.8 cubic feet which is i think the perfect size for one person um it's deep enough and, and wide enough where you can sit in it all the way up to your neck and you can uh your your legs have to be bent if you're i'm six feet so or six foot tall um your legs have to be bent, but they're not like uncomfortably jammed up into you. You can still dunk your head under. Uh, you can't fit two people in it. So, if you want to do like a two person one, you have to go with the bigger one. But this one works perfectly. And I just fill it with water. Uh, we sealed like all the, the insides, we, we cocked them and sealed them. And then uh, we fill it like three quarters with water. And then we run it for like uh, two days ish to get the temperature down. So, it, it'll drop the water temperature below 40. And, uh, I have a temperature gauge in, inside of it, like a pool one and then one on the outside too. And then once the temperature is down below 40, we, I have it plugged into a timer and it just runs for two hours a day. Uh, and that just keeps the water temperature at like 36 degrees. Um, and that way I can just jump in it whenever I want. And if I have a few people come over, we'll, I'll bring it one or two bags of ice. So, uh, cause multiple people getting in there, your body temperature will warm the water a little. But um, it's great for me to just jump in. I just have it readily available. So I don't have to go by ice or deal with setting it up and dumping it out. I just get to jump in whenever I want. Um, And we put a little bit of Himalayan sea or not. um, Yeah, we put uh, Himalayan sea salt. No, no, sorry. Epsom salt. We put uh, Epsom salt and uh, I put a little bit of um, food grade hydrogen peroxide in there just to keep it clean and prevent like bacteria from growing in there. And uh, it's, a, it's a great setup. The, the only thing I tell people is you've got to clean it out every like two to three weeks and clean it out very thoroughly so it doesn't grow funk and fungus and bacteria and then uh, unplug it before you get in it. Because you probably shouldn't be sitting in a pool of water that's plugged into an electrical outlet. I just, I've just i actually done it before and I've forgotten to unplug it. And I was like, oh man, thank, thank God I didn't get electrocuted in here. <laughs>
0: Oh man. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good setup. I that's uh did you did you kind of develop that or did you did you co-op that or get that idea no, from someone I else? It.
1: I I learned it from I saw it from Brian McKenzie actually, and then I I hit him up and asked him how he set his up. Uh and then uh Dr. Andy Galpin, who's a a good friend of mine and a, a good friend of Brian's, he had it he set one up in his backyard. So I just talked to both of them, kinda of got best practices from them, and then I went to Sears just to kind of um, check it out myself for sizing. And uh, I sat, I just kind of went around Sears sitting in them and I found a perfect one.
0: <laughs> How was that? Did you, get it, did you get a couple weird looks from uh, from the gal at the front desk?
1: Yeah, because we had one of the salesmen with us and I was asking him the different costs and shipping and stuff. And then I went, I looked at one. I was like, let me check this one out. And I took, there's like little trays that come with it. And I took the trays out and then climbed in. Jeez. Like, uh, <laughs> who's this psycho yeah and then i asked him how many bodies can you fit in here <laughs> and i did that on purpose just to kind of see it gauge his response so i never actually told him what we were doing with it i'm sure he thinks that we were freezing dead bodies oh, in oh no
0: oh boy now you're on a watch list <laughs> yeah the police, the police haven't been by yet though so
1: i think we're okay
0: just me just chilling no big deal gang <laughs> yeah well, I want to, I want to change kind of the trajectory of this because, um, you know, your breadth of knowledge or your, your, your scope and experience of, of all things, optimal performance is, is just super impressive. And, and, um, the, the, the level of expertise that you have on so many different things is, is, is pretty cool. Um, what do you take as far as supplements?
1: Uh, so personally right now I have a nutrition specialist I work with who, is phenomenal. I think he's one of the best in the industry and I, I've been in this industry long enough with work with so many. Um, his name's Dan Garner, uh, might be a great uh, guest for your podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, he's based out of Canada and he does, he's a lab analyst as well. So he orders, um, labs like blood labs, urine, uh, you, you kind of do, uh, you do urine, saliva, blood, stool, everything. And he tests a whole bunch of different stuff. So I was fortunate enough him and I worked together with a few athletes for a long time. And then I was fortunate enough and I took the, made the investment myself last summer, um, changed my life completely. Best investment I've made in my health ever. Really? Um, Yeah. And I wasn't even feeling any issues. I just was like, all my athletes are doing this and getting such phenomenal results because we can individualize their training and nutrition based on their specific physiology. Not, not our best guess based on research, but like what, we're actually seeing is like their issues hormonally and all that digestive stuff. Uh, So when I did it myself, I just wanted to kind of check in and see how it goes, you know, just do it. And we found a whole bunch of issues uh, with my testosterone was low. My cortisol was all screwed up throughout the day and which was screwing up my energy levels. Uh, My body was always kind of feeling like crap when I worked out and always breaking down. And he was saying, because I was stuck in this Kind of cortisol pathway and going and always catabolic, and I was not going down this like anabolic pathway. So my testosterone, my DHEA was really, were really low. Uh, he's like, you know, he he read my results and he goes, "Here's my guess. If I didn't know you personally, here's what I would guess uh, for you." And he basically told me exactly who I am, the issues I was struggling with, my sleep issues, like all this stuff. He kind of laid out for me based on my test results. Um, sorry, that took me way down a tangent, but the the moral of that story was
0: we love tangents.
1: Yeah. He he developed a specialized, uh, nutrition and supplementation program to fix a lot of those issues. Um, which we did. And then since then I've been working with him, um, to create, to kind of help me, um, continue to progress. So I worked with him to put on a bunch of muscle. We went on a supplement protocol for that. Now my goal is really just kind of maintaining where I'm at, but I had, Uh, I got my blood work done over the summer, and I saw that my my testosterone wasn't low, but it was on the lower end of the normal scale, and I want to be on the optimal end of everything. So um, I take uh, ashwagandha twice a day uh, to help boost natural testosterone. I guess he was saying that's one of the only things that's been proven to help boost natural testosterone. Uh, And then I take a garlic Extract which I believe I I also got super sick. I had a sinus infection over the summer, which was really weird I don't get sick ever so and I it hit me real hard So I just kind of felt like my immune system was in the gutter. I think it was from all the traveling and stuff My body wasn't used to so he put me on a garlic extract, which I believe was an immune system uh, booster and then outside of that I take some regular daily supplements. I take a, a multivitamin I take a fish oil I take a um, vitamin D, and
0: I think that's it. You take yeah. anything for uh, inflammation? No. Like curcumin or turmeric or magnesium or anything?
1: No. I you know I actually I used to take magnesium and I stopped. It was messing with my sleep, which is so weird, and nobody could explain why. I talked to like three different specialists, but I I narrowed it down. Every time I would take, I started taking magnesium in the morning and at night, and it was, I was not being able to fall asleep. Huh. As soon as I stopped it, I was, my sleep was fine. And then I started it back up just taking it in the morning, and it screwed with my sleep. So I was just like, I'm not going to take this anymore. Um, I do use turmeric. I, I put that in a lot of my, you know, Laird, Laird loves turmeric and he puts it in his creamers. And his, uh, I have a turmeric superfood creamer from Laird that uh, I'll use in my coffee in the morning. But I don't take any of those in terms of a a pill. Um, those are just the basic supplements that I take every day. And then I have uh, a pro. I take protein and um, a carbohydrate powder, or sometimes a uh, essential amino acids, uh, kind of intra and post workout.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're probably the first guy on the planet to uh, take magnesium and not sleep. I know. That's what everyone said. And I was like,
1: could it be the magnesium? And everyone's like, no, magnesium helps you relax and helps you sleep. And I'm like, I just, okay. And I kept taking it. I, I mean, I went weeks of taking this stuff and screwing with my sleep and then stopped completely and immediately went back to sleeping fine and then started taking it again. And then immediately like that day started having sleep issues, stopped taking it, sleep went back to normal. And huh. I was like, all right, I, I know it doesn't make sense. I've actually tried researching to see if I could find anything else on that. I haven't found anything, but I'm like, Hey, let's, whether it's placebo or not, when I'm not taking it, I'm sleeping better. So I'm not taking it anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't mess with it. You know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's it's not that important. It's not going to change my life that much. So I get my magnesium when I soak in my soak in that Epsom salt in the ice bath.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. My, um, I own uh, float tank centers. Um, have you ever used a, a sensory deprivation tank?
1: No, but I I really want to. I actually have a free pass to one here, and I've been traveling so much, I keep forgetting to do it. Dude, um, I'm gonna do it next week. I, I gotta. That's really something I've been wanting to do.
0: Yeah, after an intense workout, or uh, like right after um, a east to west coast. A uh, flight coming back home off the plane and straight into a float tank for recovery is crazy. If, if you can, uh, if you can find a way to to talk uh, talk the XPT family into investing in a in a float tank, I think it would be a it would be a really it's it's an incredible tool. I mean, we have we have a number of Seattle Seahawks and Sounders and um, Rain FC uh, professional female soccer players and college athletes coming in to use it. Um, really frequently and we've combined that with some cryo. Uh, We have a partnership with a cryo place um, locally too but yeah, you you gotta go take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out.
0: So what does an off day look like for you? Uh,
1: Uh, A rest day, sorry. uh, It looks like today, a lot of work Um, usually starts off with a little bit of breath work or I I pretty much always do something. Um, Maybe ice bath or sauna or um, some breathing or some mobility. Uh, Some days, uh, if I I just like to get outside, so I'll go to, uh, I'm fortunate, one of the the Equinox gyms here that I just started going to has a beautiful rooftop turf space. So I'll go there and I'll just kind of do some light, well I, I say light and I always end up pushing it way too hard, but I'm supposed to be doing like some light kind of low intensity conditioning work, uh, or just some movements and like animal flow movements. Just move my body. Just do some different stuff. Cause my training days are really gym focused. I do four days of strength training in the gym, which is pretty heavy, uh, mixed with some explosive plyometric stuff. So I try to make my other days different. You know, maybe it's just kind of low intensity conditioning, or I just like to do something fun. If I can go surfing, that's that's kind of my ideal off day. So like uh, Sunday was one of my rest days, and I got back out in the water with one of my buddies and we surfed for like three hours. Um, that's, that's the perfect, uh, off day for me.
0: Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. So you're not, uh, you're not binge watching game of Thrones, uh, eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew <laughs> on, uh, on, on rest days. Um, at least not publicly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't really watch TV. I love, I love to read. So I'll read when I'm taking a rest day. I like to, I still like to read and learn, but sometimes I need a mental rest day. So I'll read uh, novels. I like spy thrillers or uh, kind of crime mystery thrillers. So secretly I've, that's something I've been like addicted to and I've been flying through. I've been reading like a book a week, like a thriller book a week. Nice. Uh, and it just, cause I do so much reading now for my job that I, I could spend all day reading research about breathing. So the last thing I want to do at night before I go to bed is pick up my breathing book and read that uh, so like I, I really that's something I think I added into my my routine really religiously probably a year and a half ago and it's it's helped me a lot because I was kind of the guy who would use that hour before bed to read but it would always be business related or yeah. learning and then my brain would just keep going and now I could jump into these novels and it just takes my brain in a different way and I think it really helps me to reset.
0: I totally agree. I'm on the same exact page. Like I I have not I I haven't read fiction. Oh man. I mean, I can't remember up until recently I hadn't been reading fiction for a very long time and and that's it, just it's just the way that we're wired, right? We just we want to be the best that we can be. There's so much to learn from from breathing to recovery to business, you know. You could read every self-help book and personal development book out there. Uh and I would do the same thing. It's like, "Oh, I'm going to unwind at night and I'm going to read" you know, the magic of thinking big or, you know, some, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra. Yeah. It's like, n- no, I should read something else that has a narrative because it really helps. Uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that you and I are both probably pretty type a and giving, giving a little bit of break, a little bit of uh ramp to, to just get lost, to get lost in a story is a good thing. What are you, what are you reading right now?
1: yeah I completely agree and and i uh just to add on to that i i was i would my excuse was always well, there's so many books out there I need to read to learn, I'm not gonna waste an hour of reading time reading something that's not making me better and what it you know it's almost like the same thought process that athletes have when they comes to recovery days' like oh I'm not gonna waste a day of going to the gym to not push myself really hard, but you know it's the same thing. If you're not doing something to let your brain recharge, you're not going to take advantage of it tomorrow and the next day. So uh, right now I'm reading a book. I don't, I have a Kindle, so I don't even know what it's called. It's by uh, Harlan Coben. It's kind of a crime mystery uh, thriller. I'm going to tell you what it is. I just read another one of his and this was a new one that came out. I actually had a friend who was reading it and she was like, read this book i'm about to start it's called stay close by harlan coben okay and then my next my next one is a is a tom clancy novel which i've i've never read any of his but i love i've read a couple of recent i kind of like to bounce back and forth I, I read uh ready player one recently which is a little sci-fi yeah and then i read a couple of like kind of crime murder mysteries and then i'll jump back in and do a spy thriller and bounce through those those kind of genres
0: Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. It's just, you know, it's the same thing as it's important to to let your body recover. Like you can't redline every day, all day. And especially when your career and your purpose in life is to help people perform at a higher level. um, You eat and sleep and breathe this lifestyle. You need a break too. You need to give your brain a little moment to just kind of chill out for a second. You know, that's that's good.
1: Yeah, sometimes we have to take a little bit of our own medicine. Yeah. uh,
0: Well, in, in, in my experience, you know, as a, uh, as a life coach, uh, working with, you know, uh, pro athletes and, um, some, some CEOs of tech companies, you know, like it's, it's harder for really high achieving people to pump the brakes because that's all they know is work, 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 grind, 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 grind. Okay. I got to eat. Oh, I got to, you know, uh, spend some time with the kids and, and how, ha- and, and a lot of, I think a lot of people really overlook uh, the importance of taking like a mental respite and planning a vacation and, and like having a day to not look at your phone, like uh, uh, certainly, you know, not looking at your phone until the minute you try to go to sleep at night, you know, like those sorts yeah. of things really do help. And they, and they add up against you if you don't take care of that, take care of yourself. And, that, and that's probably where your cortisol levels, your, and, 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 eventually your, your testosterone levels is from just like, just driving and and going and going for such a long time. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's exactly it. I mean, that's what his analysis was based on this. I would say at the time I was starting my own business. He's like, I'd say you're either an entrepreneur or somebody who grinds, who just grinds the candle at both ends. You probably drink a bunch of caffeine to keep you going because you're working so hard on projects, but then you also want to go crush it in the gym. So you're probably Downing caffeine all day long, which is screwing up your adrenals. And uh, you probably relied on this for a really long time. I was like, oh, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm building my business for 12, 15 hours a day. And then I'm trying to pump it down some pre-workout to go to the gym. And then I am come home at night and I'm reading work stuff before I go to bed. Uh, So it definitely screws you up like that. Yeah, um,
0: plus your family and everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, trying to have some sort of a life. Uh, yeah, I was definitely burning the candle at, at every end. You could, you could.
0: Well, you've got me sort of tripping now. I'm thinking like, you know, I'm good. I don't have, I don't have the low. I don't got the low T. I think my T is okay. But now I'm thinking it may be worth because uh, it's been. I don't really go to. Do- I haven't been to the doctor in probably six years. Maybe no, maybe four years since I've since I went and and last got blood work done because I I pay close attention and I know my body and and I i'm uh, you know I feel like I'm in synergy with what's going on mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally, but now i'm thinking oh boy if p j if p j if p j's got low t man I better go or had low t i may i i it's probably a good idea for me to go get that checked out because uh i what I don't know could be slowing me down,
1: yeah, and you know my uh mine wasn't actually low it was you know, if I went to a normal doctor, they would have said, Oh, you're, everything's normal. Uh, but for me, it was, I wasn't optimal. I was optimal. at the, I was at the lowest end of the, the normal scale. And f- you know, for, I'm a, I'm 32 years old, I'm healthy, I'm active. I wanted to be at the highest end of the, of the normal scale. So, right. you know, we optimize and it wasn't just that, you know, that I had some digestive issues that I didn't, wasn't really aware of because I didn't, what I always say when people give an example of like, they think they eat really healthy, or you know, I, I eat this diet and I feel fine, or I, I only sleep five hours a night, but it works for me. What I tell them usually is, you're just so used to walking around at 70%, you don't know what 100% feels like. Yeah. So for me, and I preach that with sleep for so long, and then all of a sudden I did this nutrition stuff, within two weeks I was like, whoa, this is how you're supposed to feel? I just thought it was normal. Everyone talks about crashing at 3 o'clock, so I thought it was normal that I chug an energy drink to keep me awake for my afternoon sessions. And I down, you know, 400 milligrams of caffeine in my pre-workout to, to go get a good workout. I just figured that was normal because everyone around me was doing it. Uh, and within two weeks, I I didn't take any caffeine. I wasn't drinking any coffee. I had more energy in the morning when I woke up throughout the afternoon. I was coaching 4 p.m. sessions like I used to coach my 9 a.m. sessions after drinking three cups of coffee. Huh. And I was like, that alone was like enough for i cuz i had some people one of the tests that he does is a, is a uh, food sensitivity panel and there's some controversy on those and i had some people like well the science this and that i go i don't give a shit you know two weeks the way i felt i don't care any what anybody else says it worked for me it changed my life i slept better i performed better i would got i was able to get stronger in the gym again uh i had more energy so i don't even I mean, I drink coffee now because I enjoy it, but there's days I wake up and I don't drink a sip of caffeine all day long and I'm fine. And I was like I was drinking four cups of cold brew before eleven AM and then downing a you know Mr. Hyde's pre workout that has more caffeine enough caffeine to kill a small horse. (laughs) I was like a caffeine monster back then and it and it wouldn't even like affect me. Now I have a cup of coffee at eight AM and it keeps me going all day long.
0: I think the point so that I,
1: you, yeah, sorry. No, my my I was gonna say my I tell everybody I'm like if, if you have the funds to do it, it's such a worthwhile investment because uh, it really and now it's helped me to understand what normal is like what my baseline is and now I know when I eat a food, how my stomach responds to it or how my body feels. And I'm like okay, maybe that's something that I need to not have in my diet. Uh, versus before I just was like oh I guess it's normal that my stomach hurts and I'm bloated and I have gas because. That's just a normal thing
0: I think the point you made about I think a lot of people, especially high performers because I mean I've seen enough and know enough about Xpt that you're getting like really driven um people and and when you pause for a second and say, hey, like you're you've been you've been operating at seventy percent." for a decade, you know, you've been, you've been doing a lot of great work, but you're really only operating at 70% and you just don't even know it. Cause you don't know what you, you can't remember, or maybe you've never actually been to, uh, 85, 95% of your, of your optimal performance. Uh, I think, I think that's a blind spot for a lot of people. And, and I, I think myself included, I'm doing some deep introspection right now, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and I agree to it. I'll tell people that sometimes, cause they're like, well, I- if it ain't broke don't fix it and i'm like well, yeah that's a that's a great strategy i guess but if you're able to have this much success and you're only operating at 75% imagine what you could do if you were at 100 or 95 you know uh, so if you're comfortable with your current success and achievement then then stay there but nobody is like no one's going to look themselves in the mirror and go like, oh, i'm comfortable here you know maybe when they find out what it's going to take to change it uh, that's the challenging part because right. You know, Dan Dan said one of the hardest things is he does the labs, he gives the results, but then it comes down to like, do you have the discipline to do this, to create this massive lifestyle change, even though it's short term? Um, but the reason my results were so ridiculous was I was so dedicated to discipline to my diet and my supplements. And it was miserable for three months because I had to remove a ton of foods from my diet that I was eating all the time. I had to be that guy at restaurants who was like, does this have this in it? Uh, yeah. Uh, what about this, this? This. You know what? Why don't you just bring me um, a, a turkey burger patty with no cheese, no bun, no nothing, no sauce, and you know, give me a, some salt and pepper. Um, that had to, that was me for three months. I didn't even. I would like get anxiety about going to restaurants because it was such a pain. Uh, but I was like, I was just committed. And when I did my retesting, he was like, "Wow, this is phenomenal results, and it just shows." discipline that you had to go through this because sometimes people pay all this money and then we get the results and then we go back and do the testing again and a lot of stuff didn't get fixed and he's like you know people always want to blame it on like well it didn't fix the thing like okay well how strictly did you stick to the diet well i stuck to it pretty well you know you know how that goes If if you're not doing it you're not gonna get the results so it definitely takes the discipline to change some things but yeah it's pretty awesome when you can get that reset and feel what that feels like and, and have your body performing the way it's really supposed to and functioning the way it's
0: supposed to. How, how long ago did you, did you make those changes? Um, I did
1: the first testing with him, I think, last July. Yeah, I think, like, late July. So I, I started the new protocol with him sometime in August. And then uh, I did three months of that, finished up late spring. I actually lost a ton of weight on there. Because I was so restricted in my like, food I was able to eat that yeah. I just ended up not eating sometimes. And I, I got really skinny. Uh, but I felt phenomenal. And then I had reset everything. My, my hormones were back to normal. And then I was like, okay, well, now I lost a bunch of weight. Let's, let's get on a program. Now that I've got my hormones functioning the right way, I want to go on a hypertrophy program and put some muscle on. Uh, so then – I just, I've been working with him for over a year now where he's been doing all my nutrition and my training programs, um, which has been great. Cause it's, it's great to one, to have those two things synchronized and then two, to have it all off my plate, like just to be a, to be a client and, yeah. you know, not be trying to train myself.
0: So what do you, how do you, how do you eat now generally?
1: Um, so now I, I I'm kind of back to normal. I, I put on some muscle. Uh, I was on a hypertrophy program for like seven months and I put on, um, I put on a bunch of weight, but I was also kind of telling myself I'm on a weight gain program. So coming off that restricted diet, I ate a lot of crap as well. Um, and I got a little fat, but I cut down now. So I probably put on, I'm about 10 pounds heavier than I was before. Um, and now I eat, uh, I basically eat back to kind of my normal diet, which was always meat and vegetables. Pretty much. I eat chicken, fish, steak. Um, I eat carbohydrates too. I eat rice and potatoes and then I eat a lot of vegetables. That's pretty much the the bulk of my meals are somehow around that.
0: Pretty balanced. sounds like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's super balanced. It's nothing. I don't cut out any macronutrients. Um, I fast every once in a while, just sometimes out of, Necessity, like when I'm traveling and I don't want to eat crap they have in the airport, I'll just be like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna fast today," and I'll just do a, you know, 16 hour fast or whatever. Uh, But I don't do it really on purpose. Like I don't have a schedule. I just will fast here and there based on my schedule. And then other than that, I eat a pretty balanced diet of. uh, I don't even I don't measure my um, intakes anymore. So I don't know exactly like my carbs, protein, all that stuff, but I think it's pretty well balanced out.
0: Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like it, but it's not, it's not like strictly keto or, or anything like that. You're not eating for ketosis. Yeah.
1: Nope. Nope. I'm not on any of those. I've actually never done keto. I I probably will at some point just to, to do it. Um, you know, for me, I was anti that that stuff because I was a performance person and mostly because I had so many fighters coming to me, like. Oh, everyone says you should do keto. I'm like, yeah, not for if you're a professional fighter. Uh, it's not not the diet for for uh, performance athletes like you. There's not not that it's bad, but it's not the right one for you. But I think now I'm interested in now that I've kind of reset things, I'm interested in just exploring some other stuff. So I'll probably do um, probably a more focused intermittent fasting for a while and see how my body responds. I'll probably do keto for you know. Ten weeks or so, and see how I feel with that. Just kind of mess around with different things. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good to learn from experience too. When people ask questions, I'll at least have personal experience, not just um, you know research. And then also, you know, see what see what I like. I might find that one of those diets is just better for me, and I feel better on it.
0: Yeah. Just for, just for the experience to be able to say like what it's like, how you, what your experience is with it. And, and I don't know, maybe I should know, but I don't know that you can do keto for hypertrophy. If you're still, if you're, if you're, if you're looking to, to, to get put on muscle mass, I don't know how that works. Cause I think you got to have some carbs for that. You know, It'd be yeah,
1: good. I don't know either. Um, I, it probably wouldn't be ideal. I wouldn't say you couldn't do it, but I would, it probably wouldn't be the, the the best strategy, but I'm not really looking to put on muscle mass anymore. So,
0: yeah,
1: I'm just kind of looking to maintain where I'm at. What uh,
0: uh, I want to be, I want to be. Um, I, I could we, we I could go all day, PJ. And I want to be um, careful with your time because I know you're a busy guy, but. Um, uh, what do, what, when, when it comes to mental performance, cause we talked a little bit about mental performances in terms of, um, uh, the benefits for hot and cold exposure. Um, do you, do you pay much attention or do you, do you eat for study for, or do anything to keep your brain sharp specifically?
1: Um, yeah. So my diet, I think keeps me pretty, that's what I feel the best on, uh, the way I eat now. So uh, I don't necessarily really like a low carbohydrate diet. I don't feel like, just again, I me mean, personally, I just don't really feel that um, I have as much mental or physical energy when I eat really super low carbohydrate. Um, <clears throat> but other than that, I mean, I'll take some nootropics here and there. I've taken like the Alpha Brain from um, On It, which I like. Uh, I have a few other. Um, kind of brain nootropics that I'll take sometimes if I'm giving a presentation or doing a long, um, doing a, um, a lot of thinking work, you know, if I'm doing like content development and writing, uh, but other than that, I don't have anything really specific. I do from a nutrition standpoint for mental performance.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to hook you up then because that is, that is the, that is the secret sauce that we, that we have. Um, there's, there's a number of different products it, the, from just for, for a better brain, we have, we have a, a litany of, of products that we really like, in, including the, the sort of flagship Siltep, um, that was, that, that is always been the best seller. It's a really quality product, but we also have like a serotonin brain food, a GABA brain food, a dopamine brain food, and the acetylcholine brain food that all do different things and, and affect and improve different neural pathways. So I'll send you a little, before we go, I'll get, uh, before we hang up, I'll get your, get your info to send you that stuff. Cause that's, that's what I do too is I, I don't, I don't take, uh, I don't take the nootropics every day uh, unless uh, I've got something where I do really need to be hyper focused. Um, so I think you, it's definitely worth checking out, trying out.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to check it out. Nice.
0: Um, Man well, we again, like I said, we could probably go all day, but I think that uh uh I think that th- this is probably a good place to kind of take it home um you know what when it comes to um when it comes to overall optimal performance uh you know we we talked a lot about the breath, and we spent some time um, explaining some techniques for people to to improve their breath and 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 shut their damn mouths and breathe right <laughs> but um you know, based on everything that you know. Um, what's, what's one or two things that people can start doing right away that will help them, um, really l- like ha- have a better life.
1: Start doing stuff that sucks.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Nice. You know,
1: get a. That's one of the things people ask, like one of the reasons we do the ice bath. And one of the reasons I do it is, you know, sometimes it's not for the physical benefits or for the the recovery it's cause it sucks and I don't want to. And then for me, that's something that I think XPT brought out in me. Uh, and it's, it's, it's now seeked into all other kind of things in my life. Uh, I've been scared to death to go skydiving forever, but I've always kind of wanted to do it. So my sister asked me a little, a couple of weeks ago, if I want to do it. And my immediate thought was like, Oh, I don't really want to do that. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Let's do it. Sign me up. Um, I was afraid to do the float tank because it looks, I'm close. I'm claustrophobic and it looks, the picture I saw of the place I was going to go, it looks like you're getting closed into a, um, a chamber that look, you know, you have a ladder up to this little door that looks like a, what's it called? A door on a submarine. I was like, hell no, I'm not going in that (laughs) thing. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to let that hold me back. So I'm going to go and I'm going to overcome that fear that I have. Uh, so I think, The mental and physical benefits of doing stuff that sucks uh, and doing things that push you outside your comfort zone, I think people need a lot more of that, uh, especially on the mental side. Um, And that's a big thing that we do with XBT and why people have such massive breakthroughs because we find their edge of their comfort zone and we help them just step over it and then continue to keep doing that uh, in really safe, fun, not necessarily fun because it's not easy to find the edge of your comfort zone. Uh, and, and push out of it, but in really kind of unique ways. So that's one thing I certainly recommend people do. And then the other one I, I tell people all the time is like, assess where you're at in the four major kind of health categories, breathing, movement, uh, nutrition, and sleep. And I'm, I'm sure this a lot of this is is uh, not news to your crowd, because I think they're very well informed in those things. But I think a lot of us you know, even guys like you and me, we just sacrifice other ones and we think that we can make them up in the other categories. So we're like, well, I'm really good at the movement things. So I'm just going to exercise a shit ton and I'm not going to get as much sleep. Uh, and, you know, we, we tell ourselves these kind of stories and whatever narratives we want to share with ourselves to allow us to circumvent these other categories because we haven't taken them into account or we, we haven't prioritized them. And uh, you'll, you'll pay the price somewhere somewhere in your health, Hmm. in your versatility, uh, your resilience, you're going to, to pay the price by, um, neglecting one of those areas. So I just tell people to, to check in on them. And if you don't have a strategy, if you don't know where you're at, find someone who's good at that thing and, and find a way to assess where you are and then optimize it. Um, and you know, a lot of those things are a double-edged sword. If, Doing it the wrong way can create massive negative effects. Then doing it the right way and optimizing it can create massive positive effects. So it's not all about just fixing dysfunction, but like let's take it the other route and optimize that system, whatever that is, so that instead of just fixing my dysfunctional breathing, I'm going to make my breathing work for me. I'm not going to just get back to normal, I'm going to use it to actually be better than I was before or than everyone else around me.
0: Excellent. Well said. PJ, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks again for having me. This was fun. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. As always, show notes, links to articles, explanations, and deep dives into the content based in this episode can be found at naturalstacks.com. The Optimal Performance Podcast is a Natural Stacks original. Our executive producers are myself, Sean McCormick, and Tyson Eldridge, and the OPP keeps rolling on.